for those of you who are here this morning and your guests, we're so grateful you're here. Uh, it is our custom when we come to this part of worship to stand as we hear God's word read. And so I want to ask you, would you join me as we stand to hear this in the New Testament? The first is from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. Believe it or not, he was a tax collector. And he made his money by making sure that he collected more money and he pocketed the rest. He was notoriously crooked. And yet Jesus called him and it changed his life. And then we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians in the ninth chapter. But I invite you now to hear the word of God. In Matthew, we hear these words. And when they saw the star, meaning the wise men or magi who were looking for this child that had been born, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, who ruled in that day, they returned to their... And from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, this is a letter Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church that lived or ministered in the city of Corinth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness seed to the sower, and bread for food will always supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his, his indescribable gifts. This is the word of God. Won't you sit down, please? Uh, Many of you have asked, well, this is the last sermon I'll preach in this church. How are you feeling? I said, I'm feeling great. I want you to know that uh, when I served in a church in uh, another city before I came to Center Church, uh, I was serving as an associate. And uh, I want to be honest with you. Being in a church sometimes is really difficult. It's going to be very off-putting. Because what we have seen in the last 50 years is we've seen the church slowly move into an uh, accommodation to our cultural thinking that somehow money uh, is needing, uh, needed to, to allow the church to survive. 
And so uh, in this particular church I served, every November we had a stewardship campaign. And for those of you who don't know what a stewardship campaign and have been members of this church, I thank God for the pastors who've come before me because there's never been a stewardship campaign in this church. The only time that we thought to raise money was for a building that was built next door. And that was paid for before the building was completed in the next three years. It's really quite amazing. Served as that associate is every November in that particular congregation, we would be hearing from the pulpit how unless you gave money, the church was going to die. That unless you poured out and opened your wallets, that somehow the budgets wouldn't be met, people would starve, and the church doors would close. And there was a truth to that. But it robbed the people of the joy of why we give because it became a, part of, it became a purpose of trying to make a building live. And a building is not the church. The church is the people of God who worship in the building. And so it got to the place after serving there that I, I didn't even want to go to church on November. Associate pastor, I, I did not even look forward to going and worshiping because all we were going to hear was how if you don't give, 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 things are going to die. Well, I want you to know the only one who can allow a church to live is Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ can prompt you to give appropriately that honors him. Because when we talk about giving to God, God expects those who give to give generously and with joy. And so some people say, well, how are you feeling about your last Sunday on, 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 uh, at center? And I'm, I'm thinking back to the fact that Rick Sorensen, as, as an elder of this church, told me for years, Robert, you need to preach more on giving. And I resisted that because violating what we just read that you give out of compulsion or guilt or that somehow by by my manipulating you that that will open your wallets because that does you no good and it does the worship of God no good and that said I have come to this church in 1994 and when I asked the elders I said well how do you appeal to the congregation for the needs of the church. I remember A.W. Wood saying to me, we've never had a stewardship campaign in this church in my lifetime, and we won't start to now. And I thought, wow. Well, what do you teach? What do you expect me to teach? And they said, teach the script. Now that in itself is a challenge because tithing represents 10% of our increase. Uh, it, it's one of those things that you and I begin to think about, and, and let's, let's face it, with inflation happening the way it's happened in the last three years, we all feel the pain of expenses rising. And in fact, we're going to see churches close in the next five years because of the dynamics of what is happening in our culture. And so in light of that, the question is then, do we give to keep Center Church alive? Well, I want you to know there's no amount of giving that you can do to do that. Why? Because God, he's the one who blesses. And so the other lesson I learned in talking about money is that many times, and I say this with tears in my eyes, that there are some people who feel like they want to control the church. They want to control the pastor. They want to tell the pastor what he can do or can't do or what he can preach and can't preach. 
And so many people will come and tell the pastor, well, let me tell you, pastor, unless you preach this or unless you do this, I'm not going to give anymore. And I thought, wow, really? Is that how you think of your giving? Hmm. I came to a place in my life where I realized that a pastor is temporary, and so is a church. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, when I was serving in that church and searching my heart about why I was so torn in my life and in my soul on how we were talking about the giving to God, I went through what was called the heritage room of that church, and there was a, a line of pastor's pictures who preceded me. And the wall was filled with all the faces of those pastors that had served that church. We've got the same thing here in the session house. And as I looked at those pictures, I thought to myself, there are two things I never want to forget people give to this church. I don't want to know. I've never known anyone who has given to this church how much you've given. I have never desired to know, and I never want to know. Why? Because the scripture says it's between you and God. It's not my business. But the other thing that came to my mind, excuse me one minute, the other thing that came to my mind was how in truthfulness that I am simply here to serve Christ. And I am never, ever to bow my knee to any one person, no matter how much they give. I'll never forget the first time that was tested. God bless her, Sue Morris. Uh, she came and brought us a cake as we were living in the manse, and she said, I want you to know I've loved every pastor that has been here, and I'm going to love you too. The church had gone through some very difficult days. And I looked at her, and I said, well, that's wonderful. Well, how long have you been a member of the church? She says, well, I'm a new member. And I said, well, well how long have you been here? She said, I've been here 14 years. And I thought, oh, my, there's a problem. So when we think about the church, we think about giving, and we think about our role of giving to God. Here are some things that I want you to think about as we work through this passage this morning. The first is that giving is a natural response to God's grace. If you don't know the grace of the cross, there's no reason to know what Christ did for you in the cross. You haven't received him and believed in his name. Please do not give. Keep the money in your wallet. And learn what Christ has done. Take the time to study the scriptures and to d dwell upon his word in such measure that you begin to see the richness of God's grace. Because it's only in the richness of God's grace that you begin to really see where money fits into God's scheme for your life. In, in our culture today, we are so materialistic. We are so engrossed with how, how we dress, what we drive, where we live, that we forget that everything, whether you're a believer or not, everything we have been given is from God. The work. Did you create it? Who paid you for it? You, you see where I'm going with this? And so when you and I begin to think about how things operate in our world, we have been so blessed to live in a country that does believe in a capitalistic system where people work and they earn their living, but we have never believed that we are the source of every gift. 
we have always been convicted that the source of every gift is the one almighty God above. If you even go back to the original constitution of this, of this nation, our rights are inalienable. Why? Because the government gave them to us? No. They're inalienable because they are granted by that. That's being lost in our day, isn't it? Now, I'm not trying to be political. What I'm trying to make you see is if you think that you're the captain of your own ship, that you have earned your own way in life, that you are the man or the woman who has grasped the tiger by the tail and taken hold of your life so that you command everything, you have missed the blessing of knowing God and his provision for you. You may have things, but you don't know the one who gave them to you. And what's even worse you really don't understand why he gave them to you. Why did God give you these things? Well, obviously it's to provide for It's to glorify God. And so when you and I think about the grace of God, think of it this way. We were debtors to God in such ways that we had sinned in such magnitude that we have violated his law in such egregious ways that we are deserving not of his punishment like a spanking on the behind or a slap on the wrist, that we are deserving of death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Now, did we earn that gift? No. Did we do anything to somehow say to God, God, I deserve to know Christ and his glory? No. It was a free gift of God's grace. It was with that truth that I have not lived up to God's expectation for my life. I haven't even lived up to my own expectation for my life. God, if I were to stand before him and he would to weigh the wedges of my life, he would say, Robert, you are not worthy to live. You say, well, wait a minute, Robert. You've never committed adultery. That's true. You've never stolen. Well, I did steal when I was about six. I went into a but I won't go into that. <laughs> See, if you go down the list of the Ten Commandments and you really begin to study God's Word, you find out some things that are really trite, quite shocking. You shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said, you have heard that said, but I say to you, if you've looked at another person with lust, you are. Then who can stand before God? No one. And yet those scriptures say that God so loved the world that he sent Christ to come to bear our sins and to bear them in such m completeness that through the cross he paid for them in full. Now that glorious news that you and I can now stand before God under the blood of Christ completely forgiven and we can never earn any more grace because his grace has been poured out upon us. We can never earn any more mercy because his mercy has been poured out upon us. It would be as if we were locked in a prison all of our life. And suddenly, and that's why we give. We give because of that. Paul is writing this letter because something has happened in the Corinthian church. They've heard of the grace of God. They've come to believe in Christ. And then back in Jerusalem, there were some very difficult days for those Christians. And when the Corinthians heard about it, they said, we need to raise some money to help them feed themselves because of what's happening in Jerusalem. 
And so the idea in the church was, let's help those people. And they said, let's, let's gather up a collection of money. And they set, a, set a, apparently a, a certain amount of money that they wanted to collect and send to the other Christians in Jerusalem who were in need. And yet that money was getting ready to be given. But Paul was very, since they made this pledge to God, they needed to honor God by keeping it. In other words, they had made a promise not to the people in Jerusalem, they had made a promise to God that they were going to give money to help those Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul, traveling back, sends Titus back to Corinthians to remind them. He says, listen, I've, I'm sending Titus because I want you to understand that because you've made this promise to God, you've made a vow. And God doesn't break his vows. And because God doesn't break his vow, when you make a vow, honor God by copying or emulating him and so Paul sends these messengers to and he's going to send them for the purpose of encouraging the church to keep its commitments I love that I love that you see one of the things that has happened in our church is when you join our church we we don't give you a pledge card we don't tell you hey we've got to have this much money by December 31st what we tell you is, or ask you is, will you support the work of the gospel as God provides for you? And most people say, yeah. When we talk about tithing, that's where the challenge is. Because we know how hard 10% is. And the question is, then why do we talk about 10%? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, and it was after God had delivered him from his enemies that he came to a priest... I'm sorry about the crackling. I'm not sure why that's going on. But in any event, the priest was named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was someone who was an intermediary between the holy God that Abraham worshipped. And when Abraham was returning from this, this battle and with all the spoils, he recognized that the battle he had won was not because he was smart or intelligent or a good general. It was because God had delivered them. And so because of his thankfulness to God, he gave 10% of all the sheep, goats, and animals, whatever else was there, to Melchizedek, not because Melchizedek was a wonderful person, but because Abraham, grace he had received. And so we have taught in the history of this church that we encourage people to tithe not, the, not from the gross, but from the increase that they receive. And I've told people before, I've said, look, if you, you don't have enough faith to trust that God will take care of you in your giving to him by 10%, then give 1%. Each month, give 1%. And then the second month, increase it to 2%. And the third month, increase it to 3%. But do it not because of compulsion. Do it because you are saying to God, I'm going to trust you to provide for me. And I told, I've told people throughout my time here that the moment you come to that place where God, with the proper management of your funds, take care of your needs, then you can quit giving to the church. I've had five people in my time come to me and say, you know, I took it up. I took up your challenge. And I said, what happened? He said, God has overwhelmed me. He said, now, granted, I didn't win, I didn't win the lottery. And by the way, if y'all played the lottery, stop it. <laughs> You're wasting your money. But he said, God didn't give me the lottery, but 
There were times where I had things happen where I could not explain how I was able to take care of those needs. Do you know that that was a personal lesson for me? I began to take seriously this whole business about giving to God, and it was hard. I was just out of college. I didn't have a lot of money. And by the way, those, who are, those of you who are students, I'm talking to you too. Do you trust God to provide for you? Well, that was the question that our pastor put before us, and I began to take it seriously. So I began to pray and say, God, I'm going to trust you. And so I began to give out of whatever increase I had. It was tough. But I did it knowing that, that God would show himself to be the God who would provide for me. And then as the years went on, it didn't seem that I missed all that much, 10%. It seemed that it was just a natural thing to do. But lo and behold, when God called me to go to seminary, I had nothing but a car. And I sold the car, and by faith, I went all the way there. What good is in Massachusetts? <laughs> and I said, well, there's a school there that actually teaches people how to teach from the scriptures, and I'd like to go there. And he said, well, okay, very reluctantly. But when I got there, I had $700 to my name. I got a job. I began working to try to pay my bills. I even worked for a family that had horses, so I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and clean their horses and tack them for so they could go riding. It was a full day. It was hard work. At the end of the day, I went to see how much I had left to pay for the semester, and it was $1,765. And I said to myself, God, wh where are you? Now, I, I don't seem to be making any headway. I can't get through this time. The next day, I got a letter from someone who said, God has prompted me to give this to you. It was a stock certificate for a company formerly known as Upjohns. And what I didn't know at the time was that they had introduced a new medicine that men could use to rub on the top of their head that would cause hair to grow. <laughs> and the first thought that went through my mind was, was God telling me to go buy this medication to put hair on my head? And then I thought, no, that can't be right. And I didn't know what stock was. And I took it to a stockbroker and said, here, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to sell it. I've got bills. I'd like to sell it and pay for it. And he says, well, let me check out this stock. And he looked at the stock. He says, man, this thing has jumped 100 points in two weeks. And I said, I don't know what that means. Sell it. He said, don't you want to hold on to it? No, I no, sell it. And so he said, okay. He got his commission. He said, I'll have the check to you in a five days. When I went to the mailbox and opened the check, I opened it up, and it was, it was for more money than I could possibly imagine. And I thought, oh, man, let me go pay my bills. And I went to the registrar, handed her the, handed her the, the note that I was ready to settle the accounts, 700 and. $65.55. I can't remember the exact figure. And I looked at the check. And do you know what the check was cut for? $1,765.55. And I got down on my knees. And I said, God, God, you are gracious to me. If that bill had not been paid, I would not have finished seminary. 
God is gracious. Let me tell you, if you don't have moments like that, there's probably a reason for grace in your life. It took that to get my attention. And I never doubted him again. In fact, Cindy and I made it a regular practice that we have tithed on everything we have ever received to this church. Everything. And I want you to know, there were some slim times, both in this church and in our lives, but we have blessed. Not us financially, but us spiritually. Overwhelmingly so. It leads me to my second point that Paul talks about. He says, giving glorifies God and reveals the true state of our hearts. You see, the reason Paul had to send these is because there is a real temptation for us not to trust God. There is a real temptation. I mean, I've got some other things coming up. I, you know, there are things I should worry about, and, and there, maybe there are. But when it comes to giving to God, the amazing thing about this is that we don't give to God because we're trying to twist his arm into doing our will. And by the way, that has hurt the church more than anything else in our culture. When you go, turn on your TV and you hear people say, if you'll just send, your cloth will be blessed and it'll touch your hand and God will provide you a Mercedes and everything else you ever want. That is not from the scriptures. And it doesn't represent the scriptures. One who has believed that has walked away from Christianity. Because if that was Christianity to them, they said they wanted no part of it. When we talk about the giving that glorifies God, Paul says to the Corinthians, listen, and listen to it very carefully. He says, I want you to understand that you need to give, not because you're trying to twist God's arm, but that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me tell you, I wish I could be here for the next 20 years. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this church. But he'll do it only in your giving, not just of money, but of your talent, of other people, of loving people who are unlovable, of including people who are not included in other places, of reaching out to those who are desperately needing the knowledge of the grace of God. God has some rich plans for you as a church. I'm not going to be with you because I'm temporary. So is Logan. So are you. I can think of this pew. I, I can pick out the people who sat here back in 1994. I remember one, Happ and Mary Brantley. They lived right up north on, on, on uh, Highway 21. Happ and Mary, one of the most generous people I know. The most amazing thing to me is I'd go and take a, something I'd taken out of my garden. And I'd drop it off at their house and I tried to sneak away. And before I got back to my house, guess what was waiting at my doorstep? A canned something. And I'll never forget Happ and Mary telling me one day, they said, well, we haven't had any rain lately. We, be, we, we better pay the preacher. And I thought, oh, Lord, that's dangerous. What, what are you talking about? They said, well, we, we believe that God is the one who brings the rain. And so when we need a good crop, we, we believe that we have to make sure we're giving to God. Well, that's what Paul is teaching here. He's using that imagery. He's saying, 
remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now what is he saying? It's recognizing that the seed that we have, the resources we have are God-given, and as we open-handedly let God use them in whatever choice he leads us to give, God will use it in such magnitude we'll never imagine how, how he was able to accomplish it. But it's in that moment that we come to the fork in the road and ask ourselves, this is painful. I mean, let's face it, Robert preached on something that really insulted me last week. Should I really give to this church? Or you won't believe that I wasn't elected as a deacon or elder. I'm not going to go to that church. What's happening? It's revealing the state of your heart here because of this one truth. We don't believe tithing gets you any closer to God. We believe that tithing teaches you where your loyalties are and what you truly love. I want to challenge you. <laughs> I really prayed about saying this. I want to challenge you. We're going to the end of the year. I want you to go back through your checking stubs. And I want you to look very carefully. And from all the things you've had to pay for, things you've had to take care of put those aside but then from the rest determine how thankful have you been remember not under compulsion but where's my heart how thankful am I what I really love is that when Melchizedek received the tenth from Ab Abraham and that became part of what we know today as the tithing of, of, of the Old Testament. When God brought the children of Israel into the promised land and they settled in the city and built the city of Jerusalem, the people of God actually gave 30% of their income to God. Did you know that? You see, they... They gave a third of their income to support the civil government of that day. Temple, so that the temple could operate and they could worship God freely, joyfully. And then the last third, they devoted to giving to the poor. And they did so in such ways that they recognized God's commandment that we are always to remember the poor. The problem today is we... We've allowed the government to take that. And there are poor among us. I'm so grateful for this church and being responsive to that and the deacons who are so sensitive to the needs of people. So, so grateful. Lastly, hold your, hold your breath. It's the last point. <laughs> we give joyfully. We give with great thankfulness recognizing that, man, the breakfast I had this morning, I was with family on Friday night. We had a bar full of food, and we were together celebrating the birth of Christ. When I think of how much I am blessed, I recognize that God is the one who blessed me. And I want to give so that others will come to know the gospel too.
I want to give in such ways that I want to support ministries where the gospel is preached and faithfully. I want to give to those people who are teaching God's word. Because ultimately it brings God glory. We, we already took the offering this morning. Don't worry, we're not going to take another one. But I want to encourage you, my friends. I want to be very tender here. Paul says, remember this, Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You know, you know what he's talking about? You put out two seeds, guess what you're going to get? Giving is a way that checks. That's what it really does. For no other reason should we give, except that God has loved us, blessed us, and overwhelmingly poured into our lives things we do not deserve. And that kind of giving honors God. Let me give you an example. And all of these people were dressed up and they were giving their alms to God and these people came with the nicest clothes and the greatest of the pretense and they held up their $100 bills and they swung it around so people could see what they were giving and they put it in the plate. And then this poor woman came up and she had a penny and she came up and she humbly and quietly without drawing any attention to herself she gave it to God. And the disciples observing this looked at Jesus and he said, that woman gave more than anyone. And they thought, what? And the reason she gave more than anyone is because she gave from her heart. Did you notice we took up offering this morning with a bag? Did you notice that? Some people have told me, we need to put a sharp point on the other end so that when people don't give enough, we can poke them. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's not the purpose. Catherine and Margaret Cowan grew up in this church. They took care of all. Cindy and I were driving by, and we noticed her house were gone. They were, it was gone. And our comment to each other was, it was almost as if Catherine and Margaret never lived. Everything that we knew about them has been wiped away. And I said, yeah, but that one memory, how they gave to this church, they came and worshiped in this church, they visited people in this church, they loved people in this church. <laughs> I asked Catherine and Margaret one Sunday, I said, why do we take up offerings with a pole and a bag? Well, we've always done it that way, was their response. And I thought, well, that's probably true, but I, I began to research it, and, and for you to put one hand in. Do, do you know why they did that so many decades ago in this church? Because Jesus said, when you give, give in secret, and your Father in heaven will reward you in secret. And he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's why you can only get one hand into that basket. Isn't that glorious? Well, that's the last sermon for me, thank God. <laughs> it was on giving. Rick, are you okay with that? Okay, all right. But I hope and pray that as you think about the future,
you're getting ready to embark on about how God wants to use you in this church to reach the people who are around you who don't know Jesus. I really hope you're going to give him your attention. I really hope you're going to give him time to start getting together with you and leading you to follow faithfully what the scriptures teach you about what it means to be a church. Because God has some wonderful things prepared for you. Good God, when I think, when I think about what God is going to do through you, I just want to give more money to this church. And I am. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our that in and through him and by him, we have been given everything we need to serve and love you. It is our prayer, our constant desire, that you would help us in such ways that when we have the temptation to not trust and believe in you, that we will turn our backs upon ourself and our doubt and trust you with all of our hearts. Father, there are some people who have never given to a church in this place. And they're beginning to wonder, is it really true? Do you really notice when people give to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And my prayer is that they would dare to take your challenge to them, your challenge for you, or to provide for them everything they need to live. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen.